good to see you. Good to see your smiling, well-fed faces from Thursday. How many of you ate too much on Thanksgiving? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you are going to start your fast tomorrow morning? Raise your hand. I need to. You know what? I, I went on my sabbatical, and part of my goal was to lose weight and to go on some fast. When I got to where I was staying, this place called Camp Ironwood, <laughs> I walked in, and they had cabinets, cabinets stocked full of sodas, fruit snacks, every kind of Welch's fruit snacks, Sour Punch Kids, chips, Oreos, the, pep, the really premium Pepperidge Farm Milano cookies, you know. I mean, it's like the Lord knew the desires of my heart before I ever got there. And I told the hosts who were showing me all this, I'm like, you do know I was going to try to not eat some food while I was here. And so anyway, I don't know if I was too successful in that. But, boy, I was able to read four um, books in, during my sabbatical. I was able to read through the Minor Prophets. I read through the book of Habakkuk along with you as you were studying it. And isn't it interesting, the minor prophets, they are a lot of doom and gloom, but then those rays of hope, oftentimes right at the end of the book that you're reading. And folks, here's the great news, is that we live in some aspect of that ray of hope. Now, what's neat about the minor prophets, too, is they both talked about the first coming of the Messiah, but also the second. And so you get that overlap. And so, um, again, I'm so thankful for your prayers for me, and I look forward to the upcoming weeks and months ahead with you as we charge into 2020 and just see what God has for us. But thank you again for praying for me. I'll share some more thoughts on throughout the upcoming weeks. And if you want to know how things went, come up and ask me. I'd love to share that with you, uh, drink a cup of coffee with you, eat a piece of leftover Thanksgiving pie. How many of you have leftover Thanksgiving pie? Wait, I'm supposed to be fasting. Anyway, um, but I hope that uh, we can just reconnect and grow in the days ahead. Um, I do want to address the smell in the room. Uh, that is the smell of defeat. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, that's actually the smell of a dead rodent. So we do apologize for the smell this morning if you notice that. It's not a gas leak. We're not going to blow up. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just some critter has decided to check out of life. And so we're working on locating that, or it might have already been located. So uh, you, get, you get kind of used to it after a while. But uh, anyway, I wanted to address the obvious. Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one this morning. And we're starting our series entitled Prepare Him Room. Prepare Him Room. The older you get, the faster it seems that the holiday seasons arrive each year. How many of you would identify with that? Say amen. Yeah, it's just... Uh, the faster they arrive. And, and before I get into this, I, I just want to also publicly thank our assistant pastor, Pastor Don Kakavikas. Uh, he filled in and preached each Sunday, and many of you shared what a blessing he was. Pastor Don, thank you so much. It's a joy to serve with you. I'm sure he's looking forward to his sabbatical now, <laughs> and uh, he was busy. And I'm so thankful for him. And then for many of you who really stepped in and uh, started serving in, in new ways, I heard some new soloists this morning. That was exciting. And and uh, just many of you stepping up to the plate and serving. Looking forward to how we grow our team together in the future as we just really share the gospel with a, with a community that desperately needs it. Both the religious and the irreligious need the gospel desperately. And I can't wait to share with you um, what God has shared with me. And uh, that'll be in the days ahead as we study the word together. So Matthew chapter number one, as I mentioned, the older you get, the faster it seems that the holiday seasons arrive each year. 
I was sharing with someone out there, I think I was sharing this with Dee and Dee Lindsay and a couple of others, that this year the holidays seemed to arrive faster for our family. Um, with being away last month for the whole month of November, and as I mentioned, we had a wonderful family vacation, wonderful sabbatical. Uh, the Thanksgiving holidays and the Christmas season didn't feel to be at the right time. As, as Rebecca and I were coming home on Wednesday of this last week, getting just out of Dodge before all the aircraft, airport delays happened, thankfully, and all the bad weather, um, we said that we really didn't feel like it was the holidays because for a month our whole life had been thrown out of rhythm in a good way, and we just hadn't... Um, uh, we, we just didn't feel like uh, it was the holidays. And part of that is because of this word preparation. Uh, we weren't involved this year in all the Thanksgiving preparation that goes into Thanksgiving being what it is. My mom did all of the food preparation this year. Rebecca and I were just able to go over to my mom's house and eat the fruit of her preparation. And so uh, preparation, uh, we, we just didn't really feel like uh, it was the holidays because we were just out of the loop on the whole preparation part of it. Um, but now I think it's starting to feel a little bit like the holidays again because we've now gone into full mode swing, full swing preparation mode for the holidays. We have a family tradition each year on Black Friday where we make room for all the Christmas decorations in the house. And here is a that's Luke, if, you, if you're not sure who that is. He, he was our little elf on Friday. This is a time lapse of Friday as we transform our living room and we move furniture out of the way and we make room for the Christmas tree and for the other decorations. This was over the process of several hours, as you can see. We don't really move that fast. I know we drink coffee, but we move a little slower than that. <laughs> And so, yeah, this was just a time lapse of us getting prepared for the holidays, getting prepared for Christmas, getting it all decorated. You might ask, where was I in this? Well, I was taking care of the camera. That's the important part. I was actually also outside setting up all the outside lights. I get the fun job of going through all the boxes of thankfully not as badly tangled lights this year and setting up outside. And so we set up and we make room. And I'm sure you did the same thing. How many of you prepared to make room for Christmas? You've already decorated for Christmas. Raise your hand. All right. How many of you have yet to do that? Raise your hand. How many of you are just skipping it this year and not really going through it? Uh, listen, I, I understand that. I asked my wife, could I, get an ex uh, could I get a special abstention and just skip the outside light decorating? She said, no. Anyway, um, so the reality is, is that we, we spend these moments preparing for Christmas because it's important to us. We, we prepare for this season by decorating for it and making room for all the things that we set up as reminders for the reason for the season. These things help us celebrate and remember. Uh, this year, during the Christmas season at Fairview, we're going to embark in a study of many of the maybe not so well-known characters of the Christmas story to see what their lives teach us about how we can better prepare to make room for God in our lives. Because isn't it true that we get so busy? And man, did I learn this on my sabbatical. You get so busy doing things for God that you don't really have room for God himself. Have you been there? I know I have in ministry. We replace busyness for being in God's presence. And so I want to challenge us as we go through each one of these Sundays, are we making room for God in our lives so that we can hear his voice, so that we can enjoy spending time with him? Because the reality is what we make room for in this Christmas season 
will reveal how we divine and value this season. We don't want this Christmas holiday season to be another busy rush through the holidays where we forget the reason for why it means so much to us. Because I know that everybody in here that's a believer in Christ would say, yes, Christmas is so important. We just sang about it. We heard beautiful testimony about why it is. But the reality is, is what we make room for is going to reveal how we define it and how we value it. I love this, this song, and I'm sure we'll sing it here in the next couple of Sundays. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And so the prayer is that our hearts would prepare to make room this season for God to speak to us, to shape us, to change us. And, and can I just say this? If you've never made room to receive him as your Savior, oh, he wants you to do that today. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him. Do you know him as your Savior? Have received the greatest gift you could ever receive, a gift that will change your life, not only for eternity, but right this very moment. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to study the life of Joseph. We just heard a beautiful song, Mary, Did You Know?, but we're going to find out in this story that Joseph didn't know for a while. Mary had advanced knowledge that Joseph didn't have. And we're going to try to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of Joseph or the sandals of Joseph for a little bit and think about what Joseph must have been going through and see what lessons we can glean from this short passage of Scripture. Y'all pray for me this morning. I haven't preached for a month, but I want to try to keep it concise and clear. Matthew chapter 1, let's read these first several verses here in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. And all throughout the Gospels, you'll see that phrase repeated over and over multiple times. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Again, we're going to look at that tonight, why that's so important. He says, Fear not to take unto thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, speak to our hearts today as we study the life of Joseph as we see how we can make room and specifically how Joseph teaches us to trust and obey you. Father, may this Christmas season we learn what it means to truly trust and grow in our trust and in our obedience of you. Speak to our hearts now, we pray, Holy Spirit, in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. First of all, I want to look at, just for a moment, who Joseph was. To better understand the character of Joseph and, and to understand where he fits in this whole story of Christmas. Uh, what did Joseph do for a living? What did Joseph do for a living? We learn what Joseph did for a living in another passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. It says in Matthew 13, verse 55, I'm not sure if that's up, yeah it is. 
is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So we learn later on in the book of Matthew that Joseph was a carpenter. He was a he was a skilled worker. Now, when we think of a carpenter, we think of somebody who's good with wood. And I'm sure there was a little wood around that area, uh, olive wood and things like that. But in the first century in this part of the world, a carpenter was also known as a stonemason. And Joseph undoubtedly was highly skilled in his profession as a stonemason, as a builder of homes. Of course, most men in this uh, uh, time period would have had to know how to build their own homes, but Joseph came with even extra skill beyond that. So Joseph was a highly skilled carpenter. Uh, Joseph was probably around the age of 30 to 40 years of age. Some say he could have been younger, but in order to get married in this culture, you had to be established. You had to be able to provide for your uh, a spout for your wife that you were marrying, you had to pay a dowry. We got a couple of folks who are getting married here in the coming uh, months, uh, days and months. And, uh, you know, I wonder if they had to pay a dowry. Where's uh, Jason and Jessica? You know, they got married here about a year or two ago. I wonder if J- Jason had to pay a dowry, Pam? I don't think he had to pay a dowry. No, we, we, don't, we don't do that in this culture, right? We don't, we don't pay, M- Michael, <laughs> dowry? Oh, he's working seven years like Jacob did. That's, that's good, that's good. Anyway, uh, in, in case you don't know, Michael Inyard and Emma Thompson got engaged uh, about a month ago. And so they're getting married next October. We got Brian and Rachel that are getting married on December the 9th, next Monday. And yeah, people are just getting married all around. This is great. But imagine if you had to pay a dowry, right? That'd be tough. But anyway, Joseph was probably a little bit older because he had to provide financially. He had to be able to pay that dowry. Yes, brides were purchased from their fathers. We're not going to talk about that today. Um, But Scripture seems to also indicate that although Joseph had nobility in his lineage, he was called the son of David here because he was from that kingly noble line of Judah, Although he had nobility in his lineage, he was relatively poor. Yes, he was a skilled worker, he was a carpenter, but evidently he wasn't that well off. He was probably lower middle class. Why do we we surmise that? Because in Luke chapter 2, it says that Joseph and his family brought a sacrifice to the temple. And what it said in the Old Testament under the law is that if you were not of many means, you could bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons as a sacrifice rather than a lamb. And so we, we gather here that they weren't that well off because of the sacrifice that they brought. They couldn't afford the normal sacrifice that many people gave. And so they brought the uh, sacrifice that people of lesser means would, would bring. Um, and so Joseph, he was, he was a carpenter, he was, he was probably in his early 30s, and he wasn't that well off. He was just trying to make it just like we all are, right? Probably most of us in here could say we're middle class or lower middle class, just trying to make it. And so this is who Joseph was. And of course, Joseph's excited because he's about to turn a major page chapter in his life. He's about to get married, He's about to have one of the greatest days of his life that he'll never forget. In fact, he was already betrothed to Mary. And we'll talk about that here in a second of of the difference between our culture and his. But Joseph was looking forward to this next big step in his life. Now, here's what we're going to learn about with Joseph. What does Joseph teach us? If you're taking notes, filling in these blanks, this is the next blank. What does Joseph teach us? 
And here's the overall thing that I believe Joseph teaches us, and that is this, and it's a truth about God, that God can use even the devastating circumstances in our life to lead us to our destination. God can take those things which seem to crush us, and he can use those to bring us to where he wants us to be. That sounds like a similar theme to what you heard last month. What in the world is God doing? He's always up to doing something for our good and for his glory with a grand story in mind. And of course, Joseph was a part of the grand story of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And so let's go back to these verses that we read, verse 18, and let's glean some truths from them, shall we? Look at verse 18 again. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or it took place in this way. When his mother, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before the marriage was consummated, before Joseph took her into uh, being his true bride, okay, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. So we pick up Joseph's story, as I said, as a season of great anticipation and expectation. Joseph's excited. He's excited about getting married to the girl that he's been waiting to marry. That's why her name's Mary. Anyway, um, yeah, she's ex- he's excited about this. Um, uh, as, as I mentioned, um, we jump into this story in a time of great anticipation and expectation. Joseph has prepared for this time his entire life since his bar mitzvah. Since he turned 13 and became a man, he had been looking forward to this day. The betrothal has already occurred. So in this culture, the engagement period was almost, the, the, the culture viewed that as if you were legally married. So when you got engaged in that culture, that was viewed as legal marriage. And this is going to be important here in a second because the next verse we're about to read. And so in their law, they had this betrothal period. They would be legally bound to one another, but then the uh, groom, the husband-to-be, would go and finalize the house building, the plans. Wouldn't that be nice, ladies? You know, you get engaged, your husband go off for a year, and he build the house of your dreams. Well, that's what they did in this culture. You know, they would, they would build, build the house, and this is what happened. So they were legally bound, but they had not fully consummated the relationship, of course. And so this is a very exciting time. They were betrothed. Joseph was preparing the home that Mary would live in. And then the words of news come to him. Not sure how exactly he heard it. But just a few words changed everything for Joseph. Mary is pregnant. Maybe you know of someone who was engaged and that very thing happened. Found out that the person that you thought you were going to be spending the rest of your life with was unfaithful in that engagement period. Good to know it then, not to find out later. But those words came that Mary was pregnant. Now, of course, the excuse or the reasoning that Mary gave was, Joseph, don't worry, I'm pregnant, but it's God's baby. Right. I mean, they had no clue. I mean, they, they didn't understand the finer points of the virgin birth from Isaiah chapter 7. As I told you, they were looking for a human Messiah, deliverer, political force that would be the new king of Israel. And so Mary says, don't worry, Joseph, it's, it's God's baby. 
How did Joseph respond in that moment? What emotions was he having? What thoughts were running through his, his mind? What was Joseph's mom and dad thinking? Have you ever been there? When you're in a season of expectation and anticipation and all of a sudden unexpected circumstances hit you. You know, what we learn from this verse is life has a way of turning you upside down in a moment's notice. Isn't that true? Everything seems to be going along great and then bam, everything changes. Maybe it's an unexpected word of news from the doctor. Maybe it's a Maybe it's something like this, a relational breaking, a, a, a relational hurt. Maybe it's you walk into work tomorrow morning and, and you're planning for a season of, of growth in your business and in your family and you're looking forward to buying that new home and all of a sudden the boss says they're cutting down on their labor force and you're a part of it. Life has a way of turning us upside down in a moment's notice. All of us have experienced this on some level. Joseph experienced this. He was planning for his wedding day. And what he received was a bride-to-be who was pregnant with someone else's baby. And the reasoning that she was giving was, don't worry, it's God's. What was Joseph thinking? Try to put yourself in his thought process. Of course, we see what he was thinking. Look at verse 19. And her husband, Joseph. Now again, the scripture views Joseph as Mary's husband. They've been betrothed. This is an, like an engagement, but with legal binding force. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Divorce? In this culture, an engagement, as I mentioned, was as strong as a marriage ceremony is today. It was a binding commitment. In order to break up an engagement in this culture, you needed a legal divorce. And God, because of the hardness of their hearts in the law, gave them this uh, uh, directive for divorce. And actually, it was a directive to protect the women as well. The, there was a lot of abuse in these cultures in the Middle East, and God was always trying to raise that up, even through the Old Testament. And uh, We don't have time to go into that today. But but, but we see here that Joseph was trying to follow the Old Testament law. He was going to give Mary a legal bill of divorce. She had been unfaithful from what he could gather. You know, I'd, he was probably having trouble believing that uh, Mary said that this was God's baby, that an angel had come to her and all this. And so in order to break up an, an engagement in this culture, you need a legal divorce. But we get a glimpse into what kind of man Joseph was here. Joseph was hurting but he put God's word, at least the word that he had from God in this point in history, he put God's word first. Do you see that? Joseph didn't let his emotions completely overtake him. He went to God's word first. And what we learn from this, this verse here is that our, our emotions often prevent us from making biblical decisions. So we see that Joseph was going to divorce her because God's word gave direction that he could do this in this betrothal period. Matthew 19 also addresses this whole betrothal period question. But, but Joseph goes to God's word. Now, notice this, that, that Joseph had high respect for God's law, but he also loved Mary. Because notice what he wanted to do. 
He was going to put her away privately. He was having trouble believing that, okay, Mary, you say you're pregnant with God's baby. I, I don't understand all this and how all that computes. I think you've probably been unfaithful to me. It breaks my heart to divorce you, to give you a legal bill of divorce during our betrothal, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it privately. You see, Joseph could have drawn her out into the public. He could have publicly humiliated her, and he was within his legal rights to do so. In fact, in that culture, in Deuteronomy 22, it says that the people committing the adultery, both the man and the woman, were to be stoned to death. But notice what Joseph wanted to do. He wanted to put her away privately. How did Joseph respond? Did he respond in anger? No, he responded in love for Mary. He didn't respond in an emotional outrage and throw the full weight of the law at Mary. No, we see his desire to show mercy and to love the one whom he still loved, even in the midst of a gut-wrenching reality. Even though Joseph was hurt and undoubtedly confused and in much pain, Joseph responds with a love for God's word and a love for Mary. Do you see those two in balance? He was going to put her away, but he was going to put her away privately. Oh, that we would have that kind of response when uncertain and unexpected circumstances hit our life. That we wouldn't allow emotions to prevent us from making biblical, spirit-guided decisions in a heart of love for others. We get so caught up in the lens of how we feel in the moment that it leads us to poor, decision, poor decisions many times, doesn't it? And so we see this here in verse 19. So Joseph gets hit with this unexpected news. Life turns upside down in a moment's notice. Thankfully, he didn't allow his, demotion, his emotions to lead him away from making a biblical loving decision. But now let's look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying... Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. How many times have you read the Christmas story? I mean, 50 times? Uh, you probably read it every year, right? As I was reading through this story this year, I had this thought, and I don't know if it had ever really hit me this way. But ever thought, why did God not just, why did an angel not just appear to Joseph and Mary at the same exact time? Anybody ever thought that? God, it would have been a lot easier and Joseph wouldn't have been put through this whole roller coaster of emotions if you had just appeared at the same exact time. Yeah, maybe you were in that location, Mary was there, but you both had that vision at the same time. Why would God just appear to Mary? Why wouldn't he just appear to Mary and Joseph at the same time? Some of us have probably had the same conversation with God in our own lives. We've asked God, why? Why now? Why did you do it in this way? What in the world are you doing, God? Why does God work the way that he does? And I think what you see here in this verse is this lesson, and it's this. God didn't appear at the same time because God doesn't always pull us out of our circumstances. But he provides for us in and through the circumstances. I think you see that all throughout the Word of God. You even see that specifically in the gospel itself. God did not pull Jesus, his son, out of the midst of the circumstance 
of going through and bearing the sins of the entire world, but he provided and was with him through those circumstances. And so I think this is something we have to remember when we face those unexpected seasons of our life where we don't know what is God doing. God, why did you do it this way? Why now? What what are you trying to say, God? What in the world are you doing? And God is saying to us, trust me. Trust me. I'm not going to always pull you out, but I'm going to see you through. I'm going to provide for you through the circumstance. God is a God who walks with us through the valleys and isn't just concerned with keeping us from the valleys. Why? Because he knows human nature. He knows how easy it is that if we are saved from every single circumstance, what happens? We don't trust him. We trust ourselves. We start to say, I'm the one that has increased my goods. I'm the one that has helped my life be so successful. Come on, we hear it every day on the news, don't we? People taking credit for things they could never do in their own strength. And so the valleys keep us trusting. The valleys keep us honest. In fact, without the valleys, we wouldn't appreciate the mountains. Going on this sabbatical, I saw incredible beauty. You know, California is a beautiful land. The people need prayer, a lot of them. But the land is beautiful. And think about a God who has created all that. But the mountains wouldn't have their grandeur without the valleys. They're both there for a reason. In our flesh, we want it easy. We don't want any hard times. We don't want Joseph having to go through those few hours or days. We don't know exactly how long it was. Probably the idea of days or a few weeks. Joseph going through this issue of, okay, Mary's pregnant. She says it's God's baby. Convenient excuse. Uh, I'm going to have to put her away, but it breaks my heart. I'm going to put her away privately. And he goes through all that just to have an angel come and say, don't, Joseph. Take Mary. What she's telling you is actually true. We don't want any hard times like that. Sometimes the hard circumstances, though, are allowed to show us that even in the storms, he is faithful to provide for you when those storms come. Amen? God is faithful. And we see that all throughout this story, that he's faithful. He's been tested and tried by millions of believers, and he's always been found to be faithful. He's faithful. Look at verses 21 through 23. It says, the angel says, Don't fear, Joseph. Take Mary for your wife. Believe her story. It's true. I know it's, I know it's crazy, but it's true. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the angel here tells Joseph that he's going to name the baby. Why is that? Why was it Joseph's responsibility? Well, he was the husband. He was was going to be the adoptive father. And that's interesting because some scholars believe that Joseph in naming the baby was a symbol that Joseph was adopting Jesus into his family as his son. And we know that Jesus would be a part of the line of Judah, the kingly line of Judah, but yet he could not have the um, bloodline of human birth. 
because of the curse upon that bloodline. And so in such a beautiful way, God works out all of these uh, conundrums that Satan had tried to thwart the bloodline. There had been a continual generational battle against the bloodline of Judah. And God, you know, just had to be up there smiling and maybe looked at, maybe looked at the angels and said, watch this, the virgin birth. Totally threw Satan off his game. Because it was able to make Jesus the son of Joseph, but ultimately the son of God, but the son of Joseph through Joseph bringing Jesus into his family and adopting him. And we see that throughout the whole story that Jesus was truly brought into Joseph's family. We don't know exactly what the adoption process was back then, but Jesus was a part of this family. He was making Jesus his son. He was making him an heir to all that Joseph had, specifically that kingly line. And so, this, as I mentioned, this was significant because Jesus had to be of the line of David legally, but yet not be touched with the curse of David's descendants by birth physically. And so if you look back at Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17 leading up, it traces that bloodline through Joseph, Jesus' adopted father. Now, of course, this is all a beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do for us. Joseph adopted Jesus into his family. And you know what Jesus does by shedding that precious, uncursed, perfect blood of the Son of God for us? He adopts us into his family. Amen? And so we see this beautiful picture of the gospel and adoption right here in this story. We were separated from God by birth, but yet the blood of Jesus Christ makes it so that if we believe in him, he adopts us into his family. Have you been adopted into God's family through faith in the blood of his son? He wants to adopt you. He wants to bring you in. And here's what's cool. He wants to give you a new name. Each one of us, when we get to heaven, we've got a new name that only God knows and is going to give to us. Isn't that cool? You've got a new name you don't even know yet. Interesting to think about in light of recent days. People who have gone on to glory now have a new name. And you're like, yeah, that's the name that I should have always had. Interesting to think about. This adoption. God adopts us. It says in Romans 8.15. Look at this verse. It's beautiful. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. There it is again. Don't fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Are you thankful that we're adopted into God's family through what Jesus did in coming at Christmas and going through his life and going to the cross and rising from the tomb? Are you thankful for that this morning? Say amen. We have a wonderful Savior who's adopted us into his family. And we see this being even pictured here through Joseph adopting Jesus into his. Well, we got to move on. Verses 24 and 25, the final ones of our passage, it says, Then Joseph being raised from sleep. So this all happened in a dream. And you have to wonder, did he wake up wondering what happened? Did I have too much hummus before I went to bed? You know, I mean, what's going on here? But something convinced him that this was truly a vision from the Lord And notice what it says. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he did not know her until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The moment Joseph opens his eyes, he acted on what God had told him to do. What if you and I had that kind of obedience? had that kind of trust. 
that even in the midst of unexpected circumstances, unbelievable stories, that we obeyed God. I'm thankful for what Joseph teaches us. He teaches us that we can trust and obey God. And what you see is, is this first step of obedience in Joseph's life leads to a pattern of obedience in Joseph's life. So he got up from the dream and did what God told him to do. But keep reading into Matthew chapter 2. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Sound familiar? Saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother down to Egypt, and be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And what does it say? And he arose. He took the young child and his mother by night and departed in Egypt. The first step of obedience led to a pattern of obedience. You keep reading verses 19 and 20, I believe, 19 through 21. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Does that sound familiar? Again, third time in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose. You see that this... This trust in Joseph's life. And what happens is, is when that first yes to God that we give to God and we say, yes, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. What it does is is it makes room for God to do more in our life and to lead further into our life. Right? I mean, it's undeniable as you read those verses. Because Joseph said yes in chapter 1, God was able to then give him another opportunity to say yes and another opportunity to say yes. Now, let's get the difference between obedience that says we're trying to obey to earn God's favor and we obey because we have God's favor because this is the gospel. We trust and obey because we see that God has given to us the eternal favor of his son, Jesus Christ. So we're obeying not to earn God's love. We're obeying because we have God's love. And when we don't obey and trust God, we miss out because we aren't trusting and obeying the one who knows best in our life. It's like when our kids refuse to trust us. And we're like, kid, if you'll just trust me, you're about to get all these opportunities laid out before you. It places our hearts, when we obey God, it places our hearts and minds and souls in a position and in a posture to be led more by God in our lives. Isn't this what we ultimately want as followers of Jesus? Are we willing to go through the difficult times, though, to get there? Joseph had to go through those difficult times. Are we willing to let go of our plans and trust God's plans? And part of what was involved in Joseph and Mary trusting God was sacrifice. Because while they knew that this was from God, there, were peop- there would be people their whole life who would whisper and say, yeah, convenient story about the baby there, Joseph and Mary. In fact, it comes up all the way over in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees try to say that Jesus was born of for- fornication, John eight forty one. So it's not, it doesn't mean that when we obey God, it's going to be easy. But trust in obeying God's plans is the best life there is. And here's what the life of Joseph shows us. It shows how we can make room this season in our lives to trust and obey God. We don't obey God in order to gain his favor, but we obey God because we already have his eternal favor in the gospel. 
And we don't want to miss what God has for our lives when we cannot fully see in the moment how things are going to turn out or what sacrifices might be involved in truly trusting him. But haven't we seen throughout our lives that we can trust God? Can't you and I both say that God has proved to be a trustworthy father? We can trust him. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, what's keeping you from trusting and obeying God today? What's keeping you from obeying? What's keeping you from trusting? What's keeping you from saying, okay, God, I don't understand the circumstances. They hit me like a ton of bricks, but God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to listen for your voice and I'm going to obey you. Most of the time, the reason that we don't trust and obey is it's because it ultimately goes back to a root of fear in our life. Satan is the ultimate master of fear. Notice what the angel says in verse 21 or verse 20. He says, do not fear Joseph. What Satan knows is that if we can doubt God, if we can get all fearful of the circumstance, we won't trust God. And so, child of God today, God is telling you, fear not, trust me, obey me, follow me. And that'll lead to the next step, and that'll lead to the next step. Joseph didn't have the Christmas story there laid out in front of him to follow. He was in it. He was a part of it. But we see how his trust and obedience made room for him to be a part of the Christmas story. What a wonderful lesson for us today. Let's pray.